0: Thank uh-huh. you. Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 79. I wanted to first thank Ian Gilligan for being on the show uh, two weeks ago. Uh, There is, for anybody interested, uh, I don't mean to laugh at this, but if you're interested in finding out new things about Disney World, you can go to uh, uh, YouTube and type in Disney365 and Ian Gilligan, and you'll find out... uh, All about that stuff. There's a new video up in which you can see him uh, do that voice that uh, we had him do last episode. But uh, yes, thank you, Ian, for being on the show. So a couple new uh, blogs written by Travis Fishburne. Uh, One is about uh, his recent love of uh, Westerns and... He also has restarted his blog uh, series about The Walking Dead, so you can find those at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Uh, for those that don't know, the last last week uh, we started a mini-sode series in which Josh and I talk about our uh, 10 favorite movies of all time. So. Uh last week we talked about my 10th favorite movie of all time Buster Keaton's The General and so you can listen to that it's in the feed and you can listen to it from the website as well. Uh it is Oscar season. I'll use this opportunity to, to welcome in my uh, my co-host. It is Oscar season. And so uh I'm sure you've got Oscar fever and you and you're wondering, "Hey, what's going to win best picture?" Well, to know that, you got to know your Oscar history. So there's a series of blogs uh, ca- that I've called the Best of Pictures, and it cr- uh, chronicles uh, the winners of Best Picture over the last uh, however many years. And uh, those are all written by our own Josh Long. Josh, hi everybody. How you doing? I'm
1: doing all right. Wrote right. those uh, Oscar things, so people should go and look at those. They if should. You wanna, if you want to know about the Oscars, if you want to know about movies that have won back through '95. Yeah goes back to 95 now. That's a good... That's that's at least 10 years.
0: That's, I believe... I'm, I'm be no math whiz. 16, but, 16, 17 years. So there's... Uh, and then... <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's been kind of stuck right there for a while. Uh, Josh... For a little while, uh, yeah. busy doing other things. And I absolutely understand. There have been times when I write... Uh, I've written like a blog series... Um, Back in the days of MySpace, I would write a series about my hundred favorite movies of all time, and I made it a good portion of the way. And these are all movies that I love, and yet, like, I got I got to one, I'm like, ah, I love it, but I just don't know what to say about it. Yeah. And, uh, and so, like, I think I ended with Brief Encounter, which is a wonderful film, and I've since watched it again, and it's like, oh, why did I not... Why did I not find it easy to just write about this thing uh, a lot? And so. Um, who knows? Who knows? So I absolutely understand uh, getting kind of burned out on the blog series, and uh, Josh has been working on other things as well. But there are still uh, several entries, including. Uh, last year's The Artist, and the year before that, The King's Speech. Mm-hmm. So you can find that at morethanonelesson.com, and if you go to the little uh, categories chalkboard there, you'll find something that says The Best of Pictures. You can click on that, and you can uh, read all about it.
1: And then once there is a new winner declared, there will be a be a little something going up bit, about whichever one that happens to be.
0: What do you think it's going to be?
1: Which will be... I'm putting all my money on a more. That's it. Okay. All right. All my money, all of it. Yes, all of I have your money. Bet I found a bookie who will take all of my money plus my car as collateral. Hmm. Which is jokes on him. He hasn't seen that car.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huh.
1: I think so. I it's, think it's a. I think you it's think this is year. the year? This is the Michael
0: Haneke year. Now there is an argument to be made for him winning best director. I think that's. I don't think that's going to happen. But picture, absolutely. Picture, absolutely,
1: and I say, in a surprise turn of events, in a trick play, Ben Affleck wins the Oscar for Best Director.
0: Right-ins. That's what it's all about. There you go. It's never happened before, but there's no reason to think it can't happen. Actually, I I don't think it actually can happen.
1: Why not? Anything can happen.
0: Anything can happen. No, that's the Golden Globes.
1: Oh. All right. Well, I think I'm going to lose a lot of money.
0: That's all right. Because at least, because at least, uh, yeah, because it probably Argo is going to win Best Picture. Yeah, which is a movie that I I like. Um, I don't love. I, I certainly don't understand the sheer amount of uh, of praise and awards it's getting nationally and internationally. Yeah, uh, it, it's a. I think it's a very good movie. I don't think it's nearly as engaging as I'd say all of the other Best Picture nominees. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe that's not true. Oh, that's yeah, I'm not a big fan of Lincoln. Although that's pretty engaging at times.
1: Yeah. So, and I feel like know. those are the two front runners and I think of the ones up for it, those are my least favorite, I yeah. believe. Am I remembering it correctly? What's up? I think so. Yeah. And you know, that's my opinion. I know there are people out there that love it. I'm sure we have listeners that love it and yeah. I'm sure you have very good reasons. But. Yeah,
0: we are in the minority. And by the way, like again, I don't uh, I don't love it, but I do like it quite a bit. And there and there's a lot of stuff I respect about it. But, like, you know, my favorite movie of the year, The Master, is uh, not even nominated. So, you know, what do I know? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, well, that was that was fun. We got to, got to warm up a little bit there. A little um, Oscar talking there. Now, yeah, because I guess this will be the last episode before the Oscars. So, uh, yeah, I guess we should get something in there. Yeah. But uh, okay, I did also want to, and I made this. Uh, I've made this announcement before, and I will. I'm going to make it uh, for the next the next few episodes. Um, but uh, friend of the show, Will Gray, uh, has cancer, and it seems like with each passing week, they find out more about it. Uh, sometimes it's good news, sometimes it's bad news. Unfortunately, it's more bad news than good uh, these days, and so. Um, you know, uh, you can. They, he and his wife have a website called uh, GoTeamGray go dot com, uh, where people can go and they can contribute money because Will is not working right now, and so you know it's hard to pay the bills and, and all that. So uh, you can do that. You can. Uh, I think there's a way to uh, get involved in like a like a, a meal plan and stuff. But uh, I know that not all our listeners are local, so maybe they won't be able to do that. But, uh, but yeah, anything that you can do would be, would be very helpful. And, uh, Will and Angie are just really great people and I really want to see him, uh, come through this, um, having only lost an eye, um, that's still a big deal, but like, you know, it'd be, it'd be great if he made a full recovery. And, uh, so yeah. So also, you know, those of you that, uh, that do pray, please be praying for, uh, for swift healing and comforts and all of that. So, okay. Uh, and, oh, so that's GoTeamGray.com, tre- go but you can also go to MoreThanOneLesson.com, and on the side there's a button at the very top that says Help Will Gray. You can click on that, and that'll take you where you need to go. So, okay. Uh, so a few uh, years ago, pardon me, a few weeks ago, uh, Josh and I went and saw a movie. It's been known to happen. Can you believe it? Yeah. And so, uh, it was a uh, a critic screening of Identity Thief, and I was uh, seeing it for uh, Battleship Pretension. You can read my review over there, battleshippretension.com. And uh, so, I invited old Josh along, not with the intention of doing an episode about it, because for those of you who may have seen the trailer of Identity Thief, uh, you would not immediately assume that there's a lot to be mined from that <laughs> film. It
1: doesn't necessarily look, look look like it has that much depth to it.
0: Yeah. And... uh it looks like first and foremost a comedy, which it is, um, very much so. But uh, but after watching it, I thought like you know there's some interesting things worth exploring in this film, and uh, and we figured uh, we and what's more is uh, in my life recently I've actually uh, experienced some of the stuff that we were going to be talking about uh, in this episode. So I feel like it's it's. Uh, that's worth noting, and maybe you guys will will know what I'm talking about. So you
1: had your identity stolen?
0: Yes, yes, by you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was very frustrating. And I ran that thing into the ground.
0: <laughs> ha ha! Little did you know that like it made your credit worse. <laughs> yeah,
1: somehow. I don't know how that happened, but um,
0: so uh, okay, so I'll give a quick uh, plot summary, or maybe Josh. Look, it's right in front of you. Maybe you should give the plot summary. Well, I think I can do that. Okay, so here's a a quick, uh, not so much a summary as a a setup. I mean, it's a very new movie, so we don't want to necessarily spoil anything, but here's the basic setup.
1: So here's the plot, everybody. Jason Bateman plays a lowly accountant at a financial investment company in Denver who suddenly finds that his credit cards are being declined. He is informed that his identity has been stolen by a woman in Florida. The financial and legal trouble that this causes him could lose him a possible high-paying job. So he travels to Florida to seek out the woman that screwed up his life. He meets a seemingly pleasant but tacky woman, played by Melissa McCarthy. She attempts to evade him, but he eventually catches her, and they start to make their way back to Denver to clear everything
0: up. All right. So, this turn, the, the film, more than anything, is a road movie which I did not know that was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, although going in, I guess I didn't know what else it could be. Um, yeah. And uh, I have a fondness for road movies. I, I took a class in college uh, about road movies and it was a very interesting class. Um, and this is, I mean, this is, it, it fits a lot of formulas. Uh, you know, specifically the idea of the buddy comedy, the mismatched person comedy and then the the road comedy um and uh and i by and large really enjoyed it i it is a comedy and i laughed a whole lot and that's i know it sounds weird that uh, that i would simplify it like that and we'll talk more about the film in general in a moment but you know when a when a movie is a comedy and it is first and foremost a comedy it's not like you know not like Sideways or The Descendants which are kind of comedy drama um, it is first and foremost a comedy and if it makes me laugh a lot I consider it a success and it made me laugh a lot yeah Josh what do you think I enjoyed it
1: I, there were certain aspects of it that I, I was a little confused about mm-hmm. um, I think on the whole I, I laughed at it and I think that was good yeah um, that, that made it you know that made it worthwhile as a comedy for me that made it something that I'm, I could say to people yeah you should you should see that and you'll enjoy yourself um uh the things that I don't want to go too much into the plot again if we don't want to right. spoil too much having uh, since not too many people will have had a chance to see it yet but um there are some things in terms of kind of the the themes of the film and maybe the 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 film's attitude towards towards money in general or wealth is a little confusing at times I think it goes back and forth a little bit Yeah um and there are uh, there are also moments in the plot when I... Like you said, you didn't expect it to be a road movie, and neither did I. I thought it was going to be a lot more of he's trying to get her, and she keeps getting away. Yeah, like and, a, almost
0: like a, a, cha- a cat-and-mouse comedy.
1: Right, and that happens a little bit, but not that much. And I guess there's a lot of reasons that it makes sense that that doesn't happen that much, because he's by himself after her, so if it were just him by himself chasing her, that would eventually become a rather boring movie, right. <laughs> because you don't have any... Interaction. And so I think they wanted to make the center of the movie to be the interaction between the two of them. And in order for that to happen, she has to agree to go with him or they have to get stuck together to some degree. Yeah. Um, so
0: and a lot of the plot uh, machinations or machinations. I never remember.
1: Um, machinations is a word. Yeah. But I don't know if it's that word. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Let's just say a lot developments. Let's say (laughs) that a lot of the uh, plot developments um, that sort of make it possible and necessary for them to be in a car together, driving across country. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they they're maybe a little clunky, and they kind of come out of nowhere, and and you're just like, okay, all right, I see why they're doing this. Uh, Maybe they didn't have to do this. um, Yeah. And then there are also things where you can see, like, oh, they're ra- the, the filmmakers are trying to raise the stakes, and there, you know, mm-hmm. there's an element of danger, and it's, right. and I understand that a little bit, but like, I remember one of the first things that you and I talked about as we were walking out of it is like, there's something about the action comedy, which this turned out to be. It's not a, it's you know, it's not a, you know, it's not Beverly Hills Copper or, or 48 Hours, right? But there's more action to it than one would assume, mm-hmm. and. I think that is probably to the film's detriment, um, yeah I think I'd agree it's just one of those things like it, it's hard to do um, because either you put so much into the into making the action work and making it exciting that you forget like oh yeah it's hard to laugh when you have no when you're breathless you yeah um, but the so that's one thing that can happen, or they focus so much on the laughs that the action doesn't feel real. And it feels like there are just no stakes. Yeah. And so, um, I think with this one, the action is done pretty well. And that winds up being a detriment to the comedy. Mm -hmm. So there is a, for example, a a scene where a character gets hit by a car. Um, and it is a very dramatic moment. It looks like a very brutal thing. And it's like this character so and it's very well done. It's really well put together. And emotionally, you're right there, like, oh my gosh, this is this is horrible. Yeah. Uh, but then the character like springs back up. Yeah. Like shortly thereafter, like they and allow us a moment of drama.
1: Yeah, and it's sort of like I, I guess this was meant to be a joke, but I, I don't know. It it went far enough into drama that then when it when you realize oh it's a punchline, then you almost feel like you uh, are owed something like you didn't get some kind of payoff.
0: Yeah. Like there's a brief moment where like the person is, is hit by the car and then somebody else is like, Oh my, you know, Oh my gosh, what has happened? Like, is this person dead? And it's a, it is a legitimately, you know, that part of the action is done so well that like that for a moment, it's quite serious. Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes a joke. The person, you know, wakes back up and everything's fine. And, and immediately they jump into a punchline, which is which is fine, mm-hmm. but that kind of undercuts the drama we just saw, and then the drama we just saw undercuts the inherent comedy of the punchline.
1: Yeah. So, because and that the,
0: happens from time to time in the film.
1: Because if you want it to be comedic, it needs to not be that serious, I think, if yeah. you want to really hit that punchline, and the fact that it becomes as serious as it does... Then you, I feel like that needs to be more of the like it needs to be a part of the story. Yeah. Where it, it, when it's not really, it's just kind of a well, they get out of this situation because everybody's fine.
0: Yeah, I feel like for me the the template. And by the way, it sounds like we're really like tearing into the yeah. movie. We'll talk more about the things we like in a moment. But yeah. um, I think for me the the modern template of like the best like a way to make a, a comedy that is outlandish. I mean, it's still straight-up comedy, but there's outlandish qualities to it. There's things in there that don't seem very comedy-esque, and there are moments of drama, and it all works. I know it may not work for you, but it does for me. Is super bad. Like, that is oh, okay. that is definitely a comedy, but there are moments of, like, relational drama, mm-hmm. um, and there are moments of, like, ridiculous, I'm not sure if I go as so far as say action, but, like, when characters are in danger and and that sort of thing. Uh, But the comedy is always... At the, at the front of everything.
1: That, that is one that seems at the forefront of comedy to me. Uh, another one that might be kind of like that, that I actually haven't seen yet, but a lot of people have said good things about it, is 21 Jump Street. I did see that, yes. I mean, that's one that also, that seems like it has enough action in it that it's pretty heavily an action movie, but also has got the, I don't know, I haven't seen it, so maybe you can speak to that better than I.
0: It goes, I think, I think because they adopt such a silly tone, and it's clear, like, and, and don't get me wrong, Identity Thief adopts a silly tone as well. But frankly, when you have Jason Bateman as your lead character, um, he does bring a, just a real grounded sense of realism there. Yeah. That a Channing Tatum being funny and a Jonah Hill in general d- really don't. Yeah. And it's Twenty One Jump Street, mm-hmm. something that like. And it's a comedy version of that. And so they're going to be a little bit more heightened, a little bit more silly. So there are moments of extreme ridiculous violence that's just like, this doesn't belong in there. (laughs) But because it's so extreme, that's funny. Like, it becomes a a moment of comedy. And so, um, you know, it's a hard thing to balance. I think Identity Thief does it mostly well. There are some elements that are unnecessary as far as the story, and I think serve to And those elements either need to be unpacked a little bit more or just discarded. Um, And I won't... This is revealed pretty early on. Um, Our heroes are uh, pursued by a couple of hitmen who have a vendetta against Melissa McCarthy's character because she, you know conned them and for, for them.
1: some reason that's never that clear never that clear it's but like, yeah the, you can tell the writers being like we don't need to
0: develop that nobody yeah, cares so much about fine. that <laughs> we just need to put them in danger unfortunately for me it 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 did bother me because yeah. like because they also tried to somewhat develop the hitmen care yeah characters but they didn't yeah and so they wound up just being a distraction it's,
1: That <laughs> yeah it's like they're almost there <laughs> They're, they're almost, almost there. in the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, stuff like that uh is bothersome and then I don't like to necess- I don't know why we necessarily led with the things that that bothered us, but um uh, <laughs> but uh maybe I'll talk more about some of the uh some of the stereotyping. Uh I'll talk about that later, I think. Oh, okay. So, but um, first so let's let's jump into the things that we did like. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think
1: one of the things that was really good about it, I think, is just the performances. The Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy are both very talented comedians. Um, and so, I, th- I think they were a pretty good combination. I felt like they, they played off each other well. Because he, he is usually playing the straight man, which he was here. Yeah. And she's the... I mean, this kind of an Abbott and Costello thing going on, almost.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's it really is. I mean, she... So he's he's doing something we that we've seen him do before, and I don't mean to say that as a as a slight against him. You know, mm-hmm. like at this point, if Jay, if Jason Bateman's going to be in a comedy, you kind of have a pretty good idea of the role he's going to play. The yeah. Arrested Development, the Michael Blues, yeah, um, which he does great. Right. It's not know? to say that
1: that. Like I don't, I don't feel like that's a mistake he's making or a weakness in him as an actor. Yeah. I think people often cast him in those positions, in those parts, because he's good at that, and yeah. he's consistently good at that.
0: Yeah, I have not grown tired of it. Yeah, um, I think because it's so. Um, okay, so this is a comparison, one that I don't necessarily agree with, but it's it is a comparison. Uh, people talked about how they got a little tired of like Michael Sarah's shtick. The uh, hemming and hawing and kind of, you know, nervous laughter and that sort of thing. Um, I think it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not in this film. I'm just making a comparison. But, like, you know, he's in Superbad and Youth and Revolt and Scott Pilgrim. And, like, and he's always kind of playing that Michael Sarah character. And I like it. And I think he does very well at it. But there are some people like, ah, it's just the same thing over and over. And it's just like, well, if it, if it works for you, then who cares? Yeah. You know? And I think Jason Bateman does that here. Like... You've seen him play this this part before, but man, like I, I can't imagine anybody doing it better. Yeah, just a certain type of exasperation
1: mm-hmm.
0: with, by the way, some some like some definite definite anger underneath that makes the character not wholly likable. Yeah, um, you sympathize with him, but you recognize like mm, there are times when he can be so uptight that he lashes out more than he needs to. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, I think he's very good in the film. Uh, But, yeah, Melissa McCarthy is somebody who is, like, between, like, Bridesmaids and this, and then I forgot completely that she played a role on Gilmore Girls, which uh, I did not really watch, but but my, my wife watched, and I remember when I would watch it with her, when I could Stomach it. Some of the dialogue just is a little too much for me. But there was this character named Sookie that I remember being like, "Huh, she's interesting." And that was Melissa McCarthy. I did hmm. not. I didn't know that. I didn't know that she's been in the game that long. Hmm. And so, but I loved her in Bridesmaids, and I remember being super excited that she was nominated for Bridesmaids because yeah. purely comedic performances rarely are. Yeah, um, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, and so, uh, and then this really just solidified it. That like she is somebody who. I will watch depending on the project, obviously, but like she is a draw for me now. Mm -hmm. Um, not so much that I'll watch my Mike and Molly. Um,
1: (laughs) but, uh, are you going to go see, uh, what's the movie she's going to be in with, uh, Sandra Bullock. Is it hmm. the heat? Is that the one? Maybe. Yeah, it is.
0: I'm not sure if I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a theater movie, but that seems like it could be a home video release. If you, you know, like, Sandra Bullock is a confident enough actor that if you put her in the right role, like she could do pretty well. And I could see the two of them going well off each other. Yeah. But yeah, Melissa McCarthy, I think what I like about her is she is in, in the review that I wrote, I, I had a sudden like little uh, epiphany. It's like, Oh, she's John Belushi. <laughs> she reminds me of John Belushi.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: Actually. Just a total commitment, just surprisingly physical given, you know, and I, I don't mean to be, mean or rude, but everybody knows this. I mean, she's bigger, you know, she's overweight, uh, but she uses it very, very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and it does not keep her from being very physical in her performances. But what's more is she also finds comedy outside of that. You know, there are, there are some actors and comedians that are, that have a very specific body type and it seems almost as though everything they do every like has to do with that in some way. Yeah. I hate to say it. I feel like Chris Farley was sort of that. Hmm. He made me laugh from time to time. And I think there was, you know, his, his Matt Foley character on Saturday Mm -hmm. night live. I enjoyed that. But like he, he often emphasized in that character, how big he was. Like when he would constantly adjust his belt, (laughs) thus exposing his, his very large stomach, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. Still made me laugh, but I felt like it was kind of a, kind of a one trick pony. Um, Mm. I know I might get some hate for that. Chris Farley is much beloved and I like Tommy boy. So, um, but yeah, but I think she, I think she transcends, I think she uses her body type well, but I think she transcends that as well. And sometimes she just makes things funny by virtue of how she says a line or a look that she gives.
1: Yeah. I, (laughs) there's a bit that I think they might've even, it might even be in the trailer where, uh, He's playing different songs on the radio, and every song that comes on, she's she's singing it, but she doesn't seem to know the words to any of them. But yeah. she's just she just keeps going anyway. With she's singing
0: and she's dancing full the song in, in it's the car. Pretty,
1: that that was a pretty good moment.
0: That's, that is one of my favorite moments of the of the film because yeah. it's, it's it's something that you f- I feel like I haven't seen before. Like I feel like in road mo- in road comedies, you know, you see somebody who you basically see the characters disagree over, like, the radio. Yeah. And with her, you just see that she's positive. Like, she starts, she's singing this song, and then you see him change it to something else, and she just immediately Immediately changes. goes to the yeah. next song, yeah. She's like a human dancing jukebox, you know? <laughs> she can change on a dime. And then, uh, and it, like, moments like that are great, and there are other moments where she's just... You know, there, there's a, an extended montage where she has to have rough, ridiculous sex with a, a a drifter and, uh, and it's very, it's, it's very funny. It's uncomfortable, of course, but it's, it's very funny. And, and the fact that she, and by the way, like her character is also in many ways ridiculous. They give her a ridiculous hairdo, Mm -hmm. um, and have her dress in a very tacky way. But at no point did I feel like she was a caricature. I always felt like she was a real person
1: well also though I mean those people are in Florida that's not a
0: <laughs> oh I know I know but it w- but that's the thing like when you dress somebody up like that y- you have an idea of the t- character type you're yeah. going for yeah and she did not give in to that
1: Mm-mm. and
0: there are moments when the character has you know some really dramatic uh, like breakdowns yeah and you know in a lesser film with a lesser uh, performer, it would have seemed like a jarring shift.
1: Right. Yeah. It, it would either be a jarring shift or they would just use it as a joke. Like, isn't yeah. it funny that they're crying? Um, and yet it still manages to be a little poignant.
0: Yeah. All the, just because like I've, I've read other reviews after I wrote mine and, sh- and sure enough, all of us seem to write about her level of commitment to every aspect of her character. Yeah. Uh, whether it be the ridiculous sex scene, you know, dancing and singing or crying, you know? She just will always deliver. Um, yeah. She's like Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, no matter what role he's in, he will deliver.
1: You heard it here first. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy, just like Tom Cruise. She's the,
0: you know, he's getting a little older. Yeah. She's the next Tom Cruise. So, so who's right.
1: the heir apparent? I think it might it's, be it, it, Melissa absolutely. McCarthy.
0: So, And it's one of those things, you know, like, I just... I would say she's. I, I said she's like John Belushi. She she also reminds me of John Candy, but we'll get to that later. Mm. Um, but yeah, and so uh, so the the chemistry between those two is as it should be. What keeps you watching the movie yeah. and what keeps you laughing? It's what keeps you interested. Yeah, um, and I think I'm sure a lot of the dialogue between them is is improvised, but the stuff that isn't is well put together and well written. Like there's, you know, one of the, uh, this may sound, I think I've said this on the show before. One of my favorite things to see in film or on TV is somebody who's very good at their job Mm -hmm. and you get to see them just be good at their job. And there's a scene where, because this woman is a con artist, but you also see that she's just flashy and ridiculous and maybe not incredibly bright (laughs) And so you just think, like, okay, she just got lucky being a con artist. But then you see, like, there's a scene where the two of them are in a diner, and they don't have a lot of money. But she's hungry, and she's going to eat what she wants to eat, and so she spins this whole... It's a ridiculous story to the waitress, but the way in which she plays like she brings him in on the con without actually telling him. Mm -hmm. She just knows how he's going to respond. Yeah. And she's able to play everything so that she gets what she wants for
1: no money. She knows how everyone is going to react and she uses that against them. Yes.
0: And so like what she wants. Yeah. So you see that like, she's a very able con artist and I, and it's like, well, you don't necessarily want somebody to be good at something wrong, something immoral, but it really, it really lends something to that character suddenly you're not just watching somebody who's terrible who's just awful in every way
1: mm-hmm. and
0: annoying and on top of everything she's not a very good con artist like she is very capable of doing the things that she can do yeah and i don't know why but that stuff like that just it just i just get more and more invested yeah and so the laughs come from a deeper place because the character feels better it's like, it's like Michael Scott in the office. He's in, he's kind of dim. He's well-meaning, but mostly incompetent, but he's a good salesman. Hmm. He's a great salesman. And, and every once in a while you see him make a sale and you're like, Oh, there, there it is. Everybody's good. At, I like, I think everybody's good at something. And when you see somebody doing what they are great at, there's something to me kind of invigorating about it, hmm. you know? that's that is of course before the envy sets in but uh <laughs> i wish i was a good con artist i know i think i could be
1: you we, and me should go on the road oh let's go to a diner and see if we can talk them into giving us free food
0: we could act, we should act like you know like a maybe like bickering brothers at this point like I think, do that. I think i think people, people could like buy that we could we both have beards yeah you know beard brothers that's that's what they call us. That's the name of my script, and and we got to do accents. Like I want to talk like this, but I'm going to go New York on it. We didn't long lost brothers,
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, forget about it. <laughs> I'm going to do the worst New York accent I possibly can. All right, well hey, then, can we get some service over here? Okay, well then I'll overplay my <laughs> yee <Yeehaw>! Yeah. <laughs> So my favorite is the New York accent. I, I I can do I can actually do a decent New York accent. I think, but mm-hmm. the fun one is the one that doesn't. It sounds like maybe you've never met someone from New York, like, but you've
0: seen a lot of hey movies. over here. <laughs> Come on, I do like I, I find, and maybe this is true in general that like any accent I do, it's really easy to do the exaggerated version of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I can do my Chicago, you know, like (laughs) living. Now, admittedly, there's like one or two guys that I met in Chicago that sound exactly like this. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but it's but I know some guys who have just a just a just slightly hint. That's those are harder to. It's harder to do, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, and by the way, the uh, the character that uh, Melissa McCarthy plays, she goes in and out of accents as as needed. Yeah, and uh, and she does them very well. Mm -hmm. You know, and so. so yeah, I would say like, I mean, th- there's more, I-, I guess there's more to talk about in the film, but like really just talking about those performances and just in general, the the filmmaker, Seth Gordon, who who also made um, uh, Horrible Bosses and mm. the documentary, The King of Kong. <laughs> one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> um, I-, I think I, re- I very much respond. I liked Horrible Bosses for the most part. Um, I think think, there were some lulls in there, but I I thought it was pretty good. I was actually
1: thinking of uh, when we were talking about the part where she's singing in the car. That reminded me of the scene where Charlie's in the car by himself singing that song and like uh, tilting himself up and down in his car chair. Uh, that, That scene made me laugh kind of in the same way.
0: Charlie Day is kind of he he and Melissa McCarthy are very similar, and they're just mm-hmm. willing to commit to literally anything yeah and that and I think Seth Gordon understands that and is willing to just push his push the comedy as far as, it's, yeah. as it can go without breaking. And right. even sometimes it might break a little bit. <laughs> Maybe.
1: But it, it is fun to see someone doing something that's like, we're just going to be as silly as we can and yeah. just go with that and then see if it works. And maybe there's lots of stuff they try like that in the movie that at, when, they, when they get to the editing room, they're like, this isn't going to work. Um, but I don't know. There's something fun in that, almost like you're seeing something that, I don't know. It, it seems almost funnier than it's supposed to be in there somehow if that makes sense because we're used to the way a hollywood comedy is generally put together we're used to a lot of the the type of dialogue the twists and turns even some of the editing like i remember there were a couple moments in um the hangover Mm -hmm. where which i liked for the most part but um i know that zach galifianakis has such a distinct style of comedy that doesn't really go with that hollywood style movie yeah so there would be times sometimes when he would tell a joke. And then there'd be like a cutaway to someone going, what? Yeah. And it's like, it seemed so obligatory to have the cutaway, but that's the way the structure in those movies works and they, they don't know how to do it otherwise. And so as if to indicate like,
0: yes, yes, we also know he's a little strange. You're not alone here. Yeah.
1: And it's like, movies don't have to do that. Yeah. And the ones that are kind of still kind of fit into that category, but reach outside it now and then tend, tend to be a lot of fun. Those moments tend to be. And I think those both of those moments from Horrible Bosses and Identity Thief we're talking about are, are that.
0: When I Thinks of some of my favorite comedies of all time... um you
1: got a little Popeye there. When I Thinks of some of my favorite.
0: I can't do a Popeye impression, otherwise yeah. I would. I mean, aside from my giant forearm KKKK. <laughs> a KKKK? That's what he says, right? Wow. Popeye was a huge racist, wasn't he? Major racist. <laughs> Huh. I guess you don't notice that kind of thing when you're a kid. Anyway, so um but some of my favorite comedies tend to be the idea of throwing everything at the wall mm-hmm. and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um there are especially these days, I mean there are surprisingly low ambition comedies. Even if they're even if they're kind of high concept, mm-hmm. it's more just like okay, we know what we got to do to get a laugh. Yeah. Theoretically. Um, and they'll just do that, yeah. And so, but when I, you know, the, the comedies I keep, I always return to are comedies like Airplane, which I will always laugh at because I've seen yeah. Airplane easily ten to fifteen times at this point, um, and every time it's like a it's like a Simpsons episode, like every an older Simpsons episode. <laughs> uh, every time it's just like ah, I didn't notice that one because there's so many, yeah, jokes. That like while you're laughing at one, two or three more go by. Yeah, and it's and they it's not like they go by because they're not that funny. They just go by because you're so busy laughing at the one that you caught. Yeah, and so um, another one is uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Mm-hmm. I I think yeah. they they throw everything at the wall in that one. Yeah, um, and then to a, to a different extent, movies like Doctor Strangelove, mm-hmm. where It may not seem as crazy and madcap as airplane or, you know, meaning of life, but like, I mean, you've got Sterling Hayden talking about precious bodily fluids. You've got, uh, oh shoot. Now I don't remember his name. Slim, no. Slim Pickens? Slim Pickens. Thank Mm. you. Like not Slim Whitman, that's not right. (laughs) Witt Stillman, that's not it either. Um, But uh, yeah, Slim Pickens like riding that bomb. You've got just the weird, uh, just a a crazy performance by George C. Scott, and then of course you have Doctor Strangelove himself. Like, there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of weird, funny in that, and Kubrick just threw everything at the wall to see what stuck. Yeah, and I feel like that's now certainly Identity Thief. It is none of those films, but it does just. You know, I mentioned like the goofy sex scene. I mentioned, uh, you know, her dancing. There's also a lot of violence, not necessarily with those hitmen, but like there's a scene. It's it, okay. There's a scene where Jason Bateman bashes Melissa McCarthy with a with a guitar. That's pretty great, and it is hilarious. <laughs> and you even and by the way, like you see, it's when it's when like they first. Uh, not when they first confront each other, but uh, he comes to her house and like she tries to get away and all that, and like she hurts him, mm-hmm. and so at one point she's running and he he's already like knocked her down, but then she gets up and starts running and he picks up a guitar and once he hits her you re- you retroactively realize oh he picked up that guitar to hit her like it's not he picked it up like as a possible defensive measure no i'm gonna hit her with this guitar and
1: it it has that uh some some uh good physical comedy that i really like is is where they they kind of just tell you what they're gonna do beforehand and Mm -hmm. and almost so much so that you're like they're not really gonna do that are they and then they just do and that it, that's yeah. great to me and I feel like that's what that moment is you, you're almost like oh he's going to hold her off with the he, he's not we're just going to hit her and it's like no dialogue oh, uh,
0: yeah. no no. Uh, I assumed he was going to hit her with the guitar he just hit but I did it. not think it was going to be right away right there <laughs> I thought he was going to be somehow provoked or something and then finally has to do this no yeah. he does it That he just goes right into it and that actually brings up something that I, I was talking about uh, was I talking about it on mic or off mic on a recent episode of BP but it is something that is is maybe worth discussing? I'm not sure. Um, if the character of uh, Diana, which is the name of Melissa McCarthy's character, um, if the character of Diana was played by, I don't know, like a Jane Krakowski or a Anna Ferris or a Parker Posey or something like that, mm-hmm. comedic actresses, you yeah. know, that you know can pull off certain types of roles. But what I mean to say is people that are, you know, women that are more attractive and thinner, and then Jason Bateman bashes them in with a <laughs> guitar, are we laughing or do we think that's abuse? Mm-hmm. Not not domestic abuse, obviously, because they're not in a relationship, but like, is it just, do we, or are we just like, hey, you can't do that. <laughs> and if that's the case, you know, I, I wonder if perhaps like there's... I mean I laughed and I cited it as a funny scene but I also have to think about like am, like would I be laughing if it was a, if it was a thinner woman like mm. do I even do we even see larger women as women in the same way that we would see a Parker Pose to the point where we don't f- it's like ah she can take care of herself she's a big <laughs> she's a big girl you know like it's uh it's worth di- I feel like it's it's worth discussing maybe not necessarily now maybe. but it's something to think about
1: yeah it's interesting I feel like I can I don't know. I can feel like I can picture some of those actresses having things like that happen to them. I don't know.
0: I can can picture like them all doing physical comedy and even like violent physical comedy. But I don't think I can ever I don't think I can picture them getting physically injured by a man and it being viewed as hilarious, as obviously hilarious as identity thief.
1: Yeah. One one place I can think of that they do that is on it's always sunny in Philadelphia like <laughs> D gets D gets yeah. hit.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's a show that does like, you know, what we're talking about like it's no holds barred. Like they'll do yeah. whatever they got to do to get a laugh.
1: There's something where Frank hits her over the head with a folding chair. <laughs> I feel like that happens in one episode.
0: Yeah. And so, and I apologize if it sounds like we're laughing at like violence against women or anything like that. And, yeah. Um, but it is something that I wanted to that I more just a question that I wanted to ask um, because yeah. while I do laugh at it, I do feel like, and everyone in the theater laughed at it. Mm-hmm. Like, if she were smaller, would people laugh as readily? Yeah. Or, w- or would you get more like oh? Or
1: yeah. would you get more of that? It, it goes. It really just goes to the question of what what do we what kind of bad things that people do to each other do we find as acceptable in comedy? Like, and that's changed over the years because. Um, you know, I was going to say years ago, you couldn't necessarily do something like that, but then there's that great moment in a Philadelphia story where, uh, Cary Grant just takes Catherine Hepburn's face and just pushes her through the door. Yeah. Uh, when that's, and that's funny, but, um, we were talking a little bit about violence in films earlier and when it's, when it can be funny Mm -hmm. and some of that type of violence, especially like, uh, gory violence, it's used a lot nowadays to be funny. Yeah. But,
0: and it can be it can be it is possible
1: sometimes it's not and but i guess i guess the point is why is it that we now find those sort of things acceptable and what does that mean that like for instance we can find violent murder funny in the right context yeah can we like like seeing that yeah um can, can you picture a movie where you you see a scene of rape and it's meant to be funny like I can't picture that at all. Right. Maybe in 50 years, people will be doing that. And is that okay? Or is it not okay? Like, yeah.
0: That's a good question. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's weird. Like you remember in uh, Tropic Thunder when uh, Steve Coogan's character steps on the landmine and blows up. All right. <laughs> Spoiler. And just, just exposed. Now I've stated on, maybe not on this show, but on the, on my other show fairly recently, actually that I, for whatever reason, whether it be in a horror movie, a drama, an action movie, a war movie or a comedy. Mm. I, there is something about a person's body, uh, like immediately ceasing to exist in a real form, mm. that I find incredibly disturbing. Yeah, and the fact that they they do it and they play it for laughs, and then like Ben Stiller mm. like takes like his severed head and <laughs> plays with it. Now, of course, he doesn't know that it's the actual head; he right. thinks it's a prop or something like that. But nonetheless, like we know it's real. Yeah, and it's like, and, and it's like. It, when I saw the film in the theater, like people were laughing, but I was just like, I, I recognize why this is funny, but it bothers me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, you know, of course that these situations aren't real, but this character was real enough. And now his death <laughs> now is not. being played for, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a weird thing. You know, yeah. um, I am of the opinion being a, a comedy nerd. I am of the opinion that nothing is necessarily off limits.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think there's probably a way to make anything funny mm uh i i can't pull up by the way how one could make rape funny
1: yeah well and we i mean we do not we as in you and i but in comedy in general they it has become more i think recently in the last few years a, a
0: kind of a joke to talk about it in certain ways yeah if you like people have found funny well Sometimes they actually find funny and sometimes they think they're finding funny by yeah, being yeah. edgy, uh, in in talking about it, you know. Um and I think that's that's where it would be. Like I don't I, I don't think you can depict it in any kind of funny way.
1: Yeah. But then again, I mean I think fifty years ago, if if people had said like, could you put could you portray could you show a violent murder and have that be something that's funny? And yeah. I think it's almost commonplace nowadays. So yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to think about.
0: Yeah. And so um but yes, I, I, and I'm fine. And by the way, like I'm fine if somebody finds something to be in bad taste, and if they, and as a result, if they don't find it funny, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's
1: fine. Um, I mean, you may look at the Melissa McCarthy getting hit over the guitar in this over the head with a guitar in this movie and say that seems abusive to a woman. I don't find it funny, and yeah. you know, that's that's your prerogative. We can't. Yeah. I don't feel like we can say no. You have to find it funny,
0: <laughs> right? And now the now the flip side is. Perhaps that, you know, that person could look at you and I guffawing like a couple of idiots Mm -hmm. and say, you shouldn't find that funny. You heartless. Yeah. So and so. And, um, you know, and that's a little iffy as well. Like, because, like, eh, if somebody finds something funny, I'm not Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say, like, you know, hey, something struck me as funny at this funeral. So I'm just going to laugh and you're all wrong for telling me I shouldn't. Like, there is such a thing as decorum and there is such a thing as, like, appropriate and inappropriate and that sort of thing. But, like, you know, it's. I don't know comedy is a really interesting thing when it like when you start talking about it in terms of morality Um, because I I laugh at a lot of things that fellow Christians think I shouldn't even be hearing and I don't mean to I don't mean to cast aspersions on them Um, you know and they don't find it funny and I absolutely understand why you wouldn't yeah but uh, I don't know. Maybe in the comments section, maybe people can uh, can weigh in on this. Like yeah, what it'd be they, interesting to hear if some people any, thoughts. Yeah, if they consider anything to be off-limits. Yeah. Uh, things they laugh at that maybe they feel like they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to hear from uh, both Christians and non-Christians on this. I yeah. think that'd be interesting. Okay. So, all right. Well, that was a fun little tangent. Thanks, Identity Thief. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, there was one thing that I that you and I comment. You briefly touched on it mm-hmm. uh, earlier with uh, how the film... De- it's attitude towards money. Yeah. And I will say one thing that it tries that the film tries to do. I, and I think it does genuinely try to do it is, you know, you find more movies these days, drama, comedy, whatever that try to, um, try to talk about in some way, the economy, like just living Mm -hmm. in a bad economy where like you might lose your job and there's no guarantee of getting another one. Right. Uh, an economy where like, you know, quote unquote, the rich get richer or like, you know, CEOs are always giving themselves bonuses. Meanwhile, you are terrified all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there are uh, one of my favorite movies of uh, 2012 called Killing Them Softly, which is ostensibly, you know, just about hit men plying their trade, uh, but in a sluggish economy. And, it seems weird to actually do that, but I think the film actually does it pretty well. Maybe a little ham fisted, but I, but I like the way it does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like identity thief does that as well. Like, uh, Jason Bateman, like, you know, he's barely making ends meet and then he has identity stolen and then yeah. suddenly his credit cards aren't good anymore. And just like, I mean, it's, it, they really do a good job of showing like his life. Like he, th- he, he cannot, not, not merely does he not need this, but this is, an awful thing for him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, having your identity stolen, like, and having somebody seemingly with impunity, just destroying your life. Yeah. Um, and so I like that it's willing to delve into that. Um, and I like, I hope that that's a, a trend, uh, in, in film. Um, you know, cause I feel like a lot of, and I don't mean to necessarily get political, but like, you know, we are, I think we are now safely, far enough away from the Bush era that we can now start talking about the Obama era and what does that mean Mm -hmm. Um, you know it's no it's no uh, secret to anybody that we are in a very very sluggish economy Mm -hmm. Uh, you can blame whoever whomever you want for that but that is the case Um, and as much as any politician says ah we're we're recovering it's like "Eh, it's not a great recovery (laughs) Um, and so I, I like that films are even comedies you know seemingly disposable comedies like this are willing to actually reflect the times in which we actually live, yeah so um but uh one thing that kind of bothers me about the film is uh the film goes really far out of its way to humanize Diana when she could have been by casting an actress who's willing to play every aspect of her and to the fullest um. To just, you know, the way that she is written and the story that they give her. Like, she's a real person. Um, and as much energy as as is spent making her real, that's as much energy as is not spent making other characters real. And specifically, a lot of this takes place in the South. And I have nothing against the South, Uh, I, good or bad. it uh, It is, to me, neutral. Um... I did laugh when there's, there's a part where Jason Bateman is like, he's in a very heroic tone. He's saying to his kids, I'm going to the worst place in the world. And he's not talking about the South. He's talking specifically about Florida. And I thought that was funny because there are just, you know, I've only been to Florida in certain contexts. That being (laughs) like Disney world, not like Miami or anything like that. But it reminds me of a, a critic episode where, uh, jay sherman is leaving miami and you just see a uh, and on the sign there's a picture of a florida gator ho- holding a shotgun and says you're leaving miami we'll get you next time <laughs> so um so i thought that was funny but but the way that the various characters that they meet up with are portrayed they're either like dumb or gullible one could say they're the same thing mm-hmm. or kind of S- small-minded and, like, in some cases, bigoted and homophobic and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and specifically, there's a character played by Eric Stone Street of Modern Family. The character's name is Big Chuck. And they d- and he's, by the way, the character that uh, Melissa McCarthy has ridiculous sex with. And they make that character do... I mean, he's just as game as she is to do whatever and, yeah. look-, and look ridiculous. But they do, after a certain point... G- layer on some human elements to his character as well, which I Mm -hmm. liked a lot. Um, But then they undercut that. And he shows up a little bit later in the film, and then you see him talking about homosexuals and uh, foreigners and Mm -hmm. uh, minorities and all that kind of thing. And it's just like, I thought, like, I wanted to say to the director, I thought you liked this guy. Yeah. You seemed to. So why are you you doing this to him?
1: It's all... Almost as if it's to say, well, now, don't forget, he's from the South, and thus, he's a bigot.
0: Yeah, and so so I didn't like that, because I really feel like the film had kind of a message about, like, not, I won't necessarily say tolerance, but, like, trying to, like, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Like, Mm -hmm. you know... Uh, Jason Bateman's character of course obviously condemns Melissa McCarthy's character early on and throughout most of the film but then he gets to know her more and you realize you know you never really even somebody who has specifically done you wrong Mm -hmm. like you never really know what why somebody does something or why they are how they are yeah Uh and while
1: that may not excuse their actions necessarily right. it it does mean we can at least look at them in kind of a compassionate way, yeah, which it does seem like the film chooses like actively chooses not to do yeah um with these people and I'd say with um in a similar degree with his boss, yeah, John Favreau plays his boss, and i th- I think that's meant to be a bad character, so there's that, but he is the only like. Boss, rich person we see in the movie, and he's yeah. he's clearly, you know,
0: yeah, and that actually, hundred percent yeah, that that brings it up as as well as that this this idea, um, and he also they they make it clear in a way that I think is actually kind, somewhat funny, where um, he's explaining to Jason Bateman like, look, you know, I get my bonus, you know, the guys like me, we get our bonus, and then we pay people like you. It's just the way you know, I'm important, you're not, and he's mm-hmm. like. I'll get you a copy of The Fountainhead. It'll be fine. Now, as it happens, both Josh and I have recently read The Fountainhead, and neither of us really stand by it as a wonderful book, uh, but there's a lot of interesting things in it. Mm-hmm. They're interesting ideas whether I agree with them or not. Yeah. Um, and my first thought is like, okay, they might be making a direct reference to Dirty Dancing mm. in which a character says, some people matter and some people don't, you know? here's this copy of The Fountainhead. I'd like that back. I, I wrote some notes in the margins. Like, that's that's ridiculous. So it might be a reference to that. Or it could be directly like, ah, people who read The Fountainhead are like this. They're like mm-hmm. this jerk, you know, which is to say cons- conservatives are like this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and if that's the case, the thing that, one of the things that fascinates me is this idea, is the idea, it's like, it's like so does the writer of the film not understand the fountainhead or did he write a character who doesn't understand the fountainhead? (laughs) Either one is possible. Yeah. You know, like it's that kind of book. I think it is the kind of book that you can, you could layer a lot of your own stuff on it if you want to. that's true. So, um, but that's neither here nor there. I don't mean to say like, ah, bashes Republicans, but what I, one thing that bothers me and it doesn't bother me because the film actually does address it is at a certain point, they're going to take revenge
1: mm-hmm. on
0: Jason Bateman's boss. And suddenly he find Jason Bateman finds himself doing something that he previously condemned. And the film seems to be on board with it. Mm-hmm. seems to think this is a very good thing. And it's the same thing that keeps me from really embracing Amelie. Yeah, yeah. Which is this idea? It's like, hey, just make everybody's life better, you know. Uh, that's that's our that's our goal. Unless they're jerks, in which case, don't make any effort to figure out <laughs> why they are who they are. Like, just make their life worse because you know what they, deserve, they deserve, it. deserve it. And so it's that kind of thing. But I do think the film actually addresses that attitude later on, um, and and I think winds up with a pretty. Balanced uh, approach.
1: Yeah, I think it does a little bit, and I think it's because the. <laughs> I, I almost wonder if that's because the film has kind of trapped itself into a place where we have to be, we have to be uh, uh, sympathetic with the main character who is trying to keep his high finance job where he's going to make six figures, right? And it's like most of us as the viewers probably are not in that position, but we have speak to, for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, we have to we have to sympathize with him so it's like on the one hand this other guy we, we have to look down on him because he's so rich and and that's and that's bad but then when Jason Bateman gets like closer to that he's not as rich so I guess that's I mean maybe that's the rule to go by like the richest person is always bad and everybody below that is just, just trying to make ends meet man yeah Um. but I feel like maybe it gets into a point where it's, it's not it doesn't know exactly where to be because we can't it could turn around and just say, Maybe Jason Bateman shouldn't be so attached to his things. Maybe he should be okay that this woman <laughs> stole his identity and his yeah. money and his job. Um, but then it, it can't. At the same time it's like, well, we can't end up on that thing. Like yeah. right? it's okay to steal somebody's identity if if you've had a hard life or something, you know?
0: Yeah. So it, it The film actually does end on a pretty balanced note of forgiveness. And I I thought so too. Which I I liked that, and I wasn't expecting it. Right? Yeah. I I don't, I don't know if I was or not. I'm, not to the extent that it went. I'll yeah, say that. Yeah. I, um, I, as I far as the that. specifics, I, I was not expecting those.
1: So so what what I mean to say then is that I I do like the the conclusion that it comes to, but I think it's a little it, its message on money is a little vague, and I think. I think the message is tried to get jabbed in there a little bit, but since the story is more important for the whole movie, it yeah. kind of undercuts that message a little bit. Yeah. So, which is more confusing than anything else. It's not like, not that I have a problem with the movie and that it's yeah. just, I, I feel like
0: I don't know where it stands. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, um, as, as I've said before, um, though, I'm not sure if I totally believe it. Um, for the most part, I feel like a movie is how it ends. A movie is about how it ends. Like By which I mean, like, this is the note that they are choosing to go out on, which Mm -hmm. means this is the note that they want you to be reflecting on as you leave the theater. Mm -hmm. Now, they may have given you a lot. They may not effectively do that. Like, the ending might not be stronger than all the stuff that led up to it, which means you're going to reflect on that stuff. But as far as the film's philosophy, I think it takes a long time to get there. I think it weaves in and out of coherence, coherency. Whatever, yeah. and so, um, but I think where, where it finally arrives is a place that I'm most that I'm mostly okay with. Yeah. So, um, and of course, all this will make more sense when you when you see the film. Um, and one of the reasons that we picked this film is because uh, it did very well at the box office. And so perhaps if you're you know perhaps most of you have seen it. So, um, so yeah, but so I you know though we are kind of nitpicking a little bit. Um, I I think identity I'd re- I'd really recommend it. Um, it is an R-rated comedy. I think we've mentioned some of the stuff that is in there that you might be offended by. Um, so just go in knowing that or know it and maybe don't go in if you feel like you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine. But it is, it's is—it's a very good comedy, and I laughed quite a bit. Uh, and so one of the things... So we'll get into the, the themes a little bit, and I want to try and wrap up maybe in the next uh, 10, 15 minutes. But... um you know, so we talked about this idea of like walking a mile in somebody else's shoes and, and that sort of thing. Um, but also this idea of people that are just annoying. And that's something that, you know, a, a few weeks ago we did an episode about uh, uh, Struck by Lightning which I don't know if people know or not. It's my least favorite movie of 2012. <laughs> I'm being facetious. I say that all the time. Um, on Twitter, Facebook, on past episodes of both shows, like, I, I tend to emphasize it. But one of the things we talked about was the idea of of trying to extend grace to the people that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this will be an offshoot of that. But... And, and I was thinking of this idea of... Um, and we'll, we'll be quoting the verse a little bit later. The idea of the least of these, you know, uh, mm. Jesus says, you know, whoever does, does this, by which I mean good things, like to the least of these, he does it to me. Mm. And so I thought, well, what does the least of these means? Now, now, what does that mean? Like, obviously, you think your first instinct is like, OK, homeless people it means homeless people or sick people. Yeah. You know, people that you don't normally think about. Uh, and so it's like, OK, well, we should go out of our way to help them. Or it could be like, you know, the people that you most, that society most detests, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And so then I started to think, well, you know, I do interact with homeless people from time to time and I'll, you know, I'll give them a buck or something like that. Um, And then I do try to, you know, when there are people who bother me from afar and make me really angry, uh, I'll try to either not think about them, or I at least recognize like, okay, my, my attitude needs to change. There is an element of least of these that uh, that I don't address very much, and I feel like maybe other people don't. I know that I don't because for reasons I'll talk about in a moment, and that is people that are annoying. Mm. Now, I know that seems like an easy thing, <laughs> but, uh, you know, in Identity Thief, yes, uh, Diana does steal Uh, Sandy, that's... We never said his name. Jason Bateman's character's name is Sandy.
1: Now, Tyler, that's a girl's name.
0: Uh, It's unisex, actually. Oh, okay. And so... uh, It's a pretty clever exchange we just had. So, the... uh, So, obviously, he has reasons to dislike her already. Right. But also, throughout... Like, she is overbearing. She is tacky, just in her behavior. Yeah. And he is clearly bothered by that, and bothered by her. Um, And then... You know, we see other people interact with her, and just they're constantly putting her down because she is annoying. We see people laughing at her because she's ridiculous, um, and so like, and it reminds. Me, and this movie, in many ways, reminds me of the companion film, which is uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which came out in 1987. It was written and directed by John Hughes. It stars Steve Martin and John Candy. Uh, John Candy, with every every time I watch this movie, and then a handful of other movies, I was like, man. I do wish he was still around. Like he yeah, was great. He was. I loved him. You know, whether it be in this movie or something like JFK. Like I think if he'd been around a little bit longer, like I think they could have explored him as a as a dramatic actor. Yeah, I think so. I think it would have been interesting. Um,
1: and he had, I think you you maybe compared him to Melissa McCarthy a little bit earlier. He had that same kind of thing where he could play the guy who annoyed you, but with a, with a lot of humanity to it. Yeah. And that's definitely the character that he plays in Planes, Trains, and Audi- automobiles
0: yeah and that's and that, that's another road movie where Steve Martin and John Candy now admittedly the characters you know John Candy's character hasn't like purposefully done something to hurt Steve Martin's character yeah but they just wind up stuck together these two guys who didn't know each other before didn't know each other before they happened to take this plane ride and now they find it very difficult to get home to Chicago for Thanksgiving and uh and john candy's character is like a he sells shower curtain rings like he's a salesman (laughs) on the road and it's john candy so he's like a bigger guy and just kind of has a just a a, just a big demeanor yeah and whereas steve martin uh especially kind of like in the 80s he he didn't play silly quite so much and he kind of played the uptight yeah guy very much a jason bateman type yeah um and so you just see the two of these guys interact and you just... And we're, we see it mostly from Steve Martin's point of view. And we do see that, like, this other guy, man, he is annoying. Yeah. Um, in many ways. Like, the stuff he says when he chooses to say it, mm-hmm. his ritual when he goes to sleep, his bathroom <laughs> habits. Like, there's just all this stuff. And, you know, the film fully acknowledges that, like, this guy is annoying. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a moment relatively early in the film i'd say maybe 40 minutes in where steve martin's had enough and he tells off john candy and just really tears into him and then john candy has a i did not write it down but he he basically talks about like yes i recognize i am easy to make fun of but that's that's just who i am mm-hmm. you know and what i and and steve martin then feels really bad about it and what but then the thing is like then john candy just keeps annoying him for the rest of the film. I like that yeah. that is not a climactic scene. That right, is not yeah. a third act scene. Yeah. That is early on enough that you see that this man is a real person, but he is still annoying. Right. I feel like structurally like decisions like that I never think about them in the moment, but when I was thinking about the film thematically, it's like that's brilliant. Yeah. Like because of the it, nature of the film and it, the themes it's exploring.
1: And it shows that like he He's not like he's not oblivious to the idea that different people are not like him like he recognizes that he's different than other people but it, but I mean I think in having him say that it makes it that much truer that he he just is that way and he's going to continue being that way it's it's not wrong that he is that way he yeah. doesn't need to change the way that he is because it bothers Steve Martin Yeah but uh you know it's that doesn't mean Steve Martin's not going to be annoyed either. Both of them have these problems with each other that are not yeah. going to go away.
0: And that's the thing is with with uh, Diana and Identity Thief, like, even as these characters, spoilers, like, they do, in spite of their what sparked their relationship, they do start to grow closer. I don't mean romantically. I mean, as mm-hmm. far as friendship. Um but she is still who she is, and right. even when she reveals things about herself, like she is still overbearing and silly, and has weird, like just a just crazy mindsets at times, and mm-hmm. and the film is willing to let her be that. And yeah. so, in in a lot of ways, the two movies are, are very similar. And I'm certainly not the first one to make the comparison. Yeah. And so, you know, recently I myself I was in a situation where. Um, somebody that I found to be very annoying was placed into my life. And it's likely that this person is going to remain in my life. And I, I kind of freaked out a little bit because I was just like, Oh my God, because uh, the context in which this person was placed in my life is this thing that I do week to week. And Suddenly, it's like if this person's going to be there every week, that means this thing that used to be fun and usually is relaxing is now going to be quite emotionally taxing for me. Hmm. And I was just like, "Do I quit going to this thing?" You know, like there was a lot. There was a lot going on inside me. Um, so I have a a few quotes and some Bible verses uh, to read here regarding this idea that like we are supposed to, we are supposed to love the people that. It is not easy to love, and that does not merely mean like people that are that have been convicted of crimes and that kind of. It could be the yeah. people. Okay, I'll bring this up. It could be people talking in a movie theater. Yeah, that doesn't mean like you can still tell them to be quiet. They're still being inconsiderate, right? But you, you're not allowed to hate them, and I feel like people who are petty annoyances for whatever reason they're somehow the easiest to hate. Yeah. People who cut you off in traffic, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Or just someone that you meet that, you know, socially that is just like, Oh, this guy.
1: Cause I feel like sometimes I think maybe that's easier for us because we're not, uh, cause it's not as easy to excuse like yeah. somebody who, you know, somebody who's homeless, you can't hate them for being homeless. Right. Like, uh, you know, we don't, you don't know what their situation is. Um, or, you know, poor or a lot of these things that would make people quote unquote less than, um, the least of these as, yeah. as Jesus puts it, there's a lot of other things that did, uh, you know, there, there's no reason to assume that it's somebody's fault or something like that. And yeah. when people talk in movie theater, it's a lot easier to be like, well, that's their fault. They should know better. There's an announcement before the movie that says, don't do this. And here you are. And, um, so that if you have a reason that they shouldn't do it, it's a lot easier to just judge them and hate them. But yeah. we're not given that. As Christians, we're not given that uh, luxury.
0: <laughs> yeah. Work. And we will, we will read about that. Uh, so first, I have, not surprisingly, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis that I happen to like. Uh, Everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. <laughs> um, and I know that's like... I can be having a really good day and I could be feeling pretty good about myself. If somebody just happens to, I'm very easily annoyed to the point where it's, I think it is a flaw in me. Like if somebody has a, a specific kind of sneeze, it bothers me. Like, and I've known several people that are big sneezers and the thing that gets me and it's like, it's a sneeze. Like people don't have control over a sneeze, but part of me is like, why do you have to get your vocal cords involved? Why do you have to like, ah, like why are you making that noise as you're sneezing? Like that's off. And it's like, I feel like you can, you should be able to control that.
1: Hmm.
0: But of course, what? No, of course not. (laughs) You know? And so like, so yeah, like me being, so I, I mentioned CS Lewis, uh, read, read, uh, the great divorce to me. Like, hell is well i mean and you know read no exit as well hell (laughs) is other people and it's not other people stabbing you Mm -hmm. it's other people mildly annoying you forever you know and but more specifically hell is now of course c.s lewis doesn't know but this is one idea hell is not other people annoying you it's you being annoyed Mm -hmm. you know you constantly taking umbrage and feeling that maybe even feeling that sense of righteous indignation. Yeah. But more than anything, feeling like you're the best guy around. Yeah. So, um, so we've got a couple, we've got several Bible verses to read here, and I did put them in a very specific order. So uh, we'll go with the next one. This is from James, and uh, Josh, we'll have you read that.
1: Sure. This is James 1, 19 through 20. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger
0: does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I feel like that's fairly self-explanatory, but like, quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to become angry. And it's just like if someone's annoying you, that's a pretty good blueprint. Like mm-hmm. someone might be saying something you find very annoying, but like at first glance, but if you actually take the time to listen, you might actually hear something that you agree with, something that reveals who they are as a person, something yeah. deeper than the thing that's bothering you. Yeah. Um That's a key part of patience. And also I think the the something you get from the passage is
1: that while I I don't think the Bible ever really so that anger is a sin right um, but it's how we use it and how we handle it yeah. uh, that's important and and what he the, the point that James kind of makes here is that whether or not you actually become angry mm-hmm. it it doesn't really do anything <laughs> well know? and he also specifies human anger human anger yeah
0: you know and that's the thing is like in the bible it often says that like god has become angry or something yeah. like that. And uh, and that is truly a righteous anger. And there is such a thing as a righteous anger, but like, I'd say nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. if we are angry it's for very human reasons. And that, right. that doesn't necessarily make them wrong mm-hmm. or bad, but we should be, you know, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God
1: desires. Yeah. It's like, we don't really have any, we don't stand to gain anything or to help anything by
0: being angry. Yeah. And anger feels good. Like it, does. it feels good to feel like I've been so wronged, which means I'm so right. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's fun to feel that. Okay. So. Um, okay, so I'll read this real quick. This is First Thessalonians, chapter five, verses twelve through fifteen. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Uh, That one, again, is also pretty self-explanatory. You know, be patient with everyone and just like... You know, and it talks about the week. It talks about, you know, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Hey, that's talking in a movie theater right there. <laughs> um, you know, but you don't. And I, I've I talked about this on the show. Like there are like these three 15 year old kids who are uh, being very disruptive for the entire an entire screening of the Avengers. And then I went to I went to tell them to be quiet. And what I did instead was scream at them publicly to shut the blank up or leave. And so like now surely their actions were not right. Uh, And I was, and I might be right to feel angry and I was probably right to tell them to please be quiet. But then my anger took over Mm. and that's what happened, you know? And, and I don't, and in that moment, I I think I was not right. They might like, that doesn't make them right. Like, you know, two wrongs certainly do not make a right, but, uh, okay. So I will, uh, move on. This is Ephesians four verses one through three as a prisoner for the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So, you know, uh, that's, that's going to be a uh, common theme here is the idea of merely be patient, bearing with one another in love, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, be completely humble and gentle. I think that's a big part of it. Like, I think we've talked about humility on the show before and what that means and the idea of, you know, and in identity thief and uh, planes, trains and automobiles is that there are moments when the characters who are so very annoyed they hear what this other person who they are and what they've been through and at that moment it is very humbling because they realize mm. this person is is just like me which is again another way of saying this person is no i am no better than this person yeah. and that is a humble attitude yeah. and the minute the minute you start being humble then you'll see some that person might still be like wrong or they still might be annoying but if you recognize that like eh, i probably have annoying things too um, then you will probably it being patient with them will be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But I wanted to unpack something here. Uh, it says bearing with one another in love. Um, so I wanted to talk about that, a- that idea of love and what that means. Uh, so first Corinthians 13, four, Love is patient, love is kind. I'm sure you've heard it at uh, every wedding you've ever been to. <laughs> um, but it's worth... It. I mean, it, it, that's a big, this is the beginning of a big list mm-hmm. of the things that love is. And I find it interesting that it starts with patient. Yeah. It could have started with Keeps No Records of well, Wrongs. it's going to be such a long list. It's, yeah. Love is patient. Now hear me out. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, I think being patient with another person and being humble, I think makes a lot of the other stuff that follows in the list possible Mm. so, okay so we've got um, okay, so we have a couple uh, quotes from C.S. Lewis and then one last uh, big chunk here from Matthew, I will read the C.S. Lewis and then you can read the chunk from Matthew got it But anyway, so in in talking about love and what that means, uh, I like, as always, I like the way that C.S. Lewis uh, uh, defines it. He says, love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be uh, obtained. And I found that interesting because as I was talking, this was a few days ago, as I was talking to you, Josh, and your wife, Megan, about this person that was bothering me... And she said, you know, I find if I actually pray for the person that is annoying me, it all becomes much better. I may still be annoyed by them, but my annoyance does not become this overwhelming thing. Hmm. And sure enough, like I try it, I kind of took that and, and, you know, prayed for this person, prayed for this person's good and not pray against this person, not pray like, dear Lord, please make this person less (laughs) annoying because that's, yeah, please fix them like me, make them like me. (laughs) Um, you know. Instead, like pray for good things in their life, pray for their happiness, pray, and and in that moment you realize that you're praying for the same thing for them that you would pray for yourself, yeah, or someone that you genuinely love,
1: yeah. And I think it's important to to think too, and you know the way that the way the CS Lewis words this is about uh, love being kind of a choice Mm -hmm. which i think is an important thing to to think about because we especially in our society nowadays we tend to talk about love as it's like this magical thing that just happens to you and if it's not happening to you then
0: and it's all about personal fulfillment
1: right it's you know it's about how you feel and if it makes you feel good then it's right but um, love is more love is a lot more work than that it's more it's something that you do not
0: something that happens to you and you deserve yeah and there's, and there's another quote here in which he talks about love and the heart. And this doesn't totally apply to the idea of people annoying you, but hmm. it can apply to that. Uh, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And, you know, that speaks to this idea of, like, it, the, one of the reasons that that jumped out at me is that there's a there's a part in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where John Candy refers to Steve Martin as a hard-hearted cynic um, and that he doesn't want to be that, you know? And I think, I think, I think everybody has tremendous capacity to be annoyed, but I do think that there are certain temperaments that are easier to annoy than others. Mm-hmm. And it tends to be people that are a little bit cynical, maybe a little bit protected, mm-hmm. uh, protective of themselves. And, and, tend to not get in, not to engage with other people and they stand outside and all they stand outside of like human emotion. Um, maybe not human emotion, but like they, they tend to stand outside of things and, and just judge and just see all the things that annoy them. And by the way, they might see it like, uh, oh, see, this is why, this is why I don't get involved. Look how annoying this person is. Look how thoughtless this person is, you know, like, If I let myself get involved, then, like, I'm just going to be bothered all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? But that's the thing is, like, you need to be willing to open your heart to, obviously, the people that you love and the people that love you and the people that you get along with. But, like, also opening it to the people that talk in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to keep coming back to that one, but that's the big one for me. Yeah,
1: and it's an easy easy, uh, illustration. Yeah.
0: And so... We've dealt um, with... Yes, many times. And so, um, so yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it will hurt. Like, that's the nature of it. But, you know, the only things that uh, don't hurt are things that uh, are not living. So, um, okay. So, we've got a, a long passage here from Matthew 25, which uh, our our good friend, Josh. Oh, is gonna me. Is going to read.
1: Oh, all right. Okay, this is Matthew 25, 31 through 40. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me.
0: Okay. And so, you know, now in this, the idea of least of these like does talk about the sick and the homeless (laughs) and that sort of thing. But like, I'm trying to think of what the annoying equivalent would be, you know, (laughs) like I cut, you know, I cut you off and you didn't scream. Yeah. Um I talked in a movie theater and you very and you were very polite about asking me to be quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have very bad bathroom you know, I have bad bathroom hygiene <laughs> and you chose to just get through it, mm-hmm. you know. Um it could be all that. You know. I have a loud sneeze and you choose to merely say, God bless you or Gazoon tight <laughs> or something. Um and so like that's that and I don't know what it is it's easy it's it's easier for me to forgive these big grand wrongs Mm -hmm. than these little slights yeah and just and even these little petty annoyances yeah and and if and chances are by the way if you're listening to this that means you're probably internet savvy if you're internet savvy and a movie fan you might be easily annoyed as well (laughs) um I've noticed that we're all kind of the same um (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, I really want to try to encourage you that like, you know, th- there probably is somebody who annoys you. It might be somebody like commenting on, uh, on line, or it might be somebody, you know, in actual life, um, really pray about how best you can love that person. Um, it's going to be incredibly difficult and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken, mm-hmm. but you know, and this person may not, they they may be so dense that they don't even realize what you're trying to do. Yeah. But it's not about them. Yeah, you know, um, it's about God and you trying to do what He did, which and was you know He died for movie talkers.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's about your heart towards other people. Yeah, because the we tend to sometimes if we sometimes if we get it right, even that we we are loving to to people that we find difficult to love then we're still doing it with an end game of when they see how loving I am, right? then they'll surely change their ways or they'll surely ask for forgiveness. And that is not reality.
0: (laughs) No. Yeah, it isn't. And so like, and I, you know, and I take umbrage with almost anything. Like if I do something for somebody and they have not thanked me in a way that I find that I want, Mm -hmm. it's just like, Okay. Yeah. Noted. <laughs> and if you
1: think you don't do that, wait till next time you let someone in in traffic and they don't wave. And you're like, oh, what's,
0: what's with this guy? Absolutely. Don't let him in. Where's the wave? By the way, like the <laughs> no wave, that is the bulk of the time in Los Angeles. Yeah. Like when I lived in, you know, Chicago, Missouri, Denver, like people always waved. I come here and people are just like, yeah, that's right. You let me in. <laughs> like About time. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's like yeah, I am in front of you. That's as it should be. Um you know, and we're making jokes about it. But yeah, that's that's a that's a great example. Yeah. And so um you know, this this is And I guess that's the other thing is when it comes to a a big sin whether it be against you or against someone you know or against society in general. That comes along once in a while. This is daily. If not hourly. Yeah. And that is like and maybe like if you work on this daily, hourly, minutely, minutely, secondly, um, maybe when those big things come along, it will be maybe not easier, but you are more ready mm-hmm. and more prepared emotionally to love that person. yeah, so okay, and you know not everything has to be a big gesture, but like for example, if you find someone that you that really annoys you, you say, Come and be my co-host, you know? Well, how would that happen
1: unless you had a podcast? Uh, right, you know? Hmm. I can't think of anyone like that. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, You and I should go on the road. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So uh, thank you everybody for, for listening. I wanted to let everyone know you can go to com and you can read uh, some of those new blogs. Go back and listen to last week's uh, episode about The General. Uh, next week, I, we will not say what it is, but next week, not in two weeks, that's a real episode. Next week, there will be a mini-sode about Josh's 10th favorite movie of all time. Exactly. So if you want to find out what that is, you got to listen to it. You got to tune in. Well, I guess you don't have to listen to it, but you can just... You can look at the post, but while you're there, it's only twenty five minutes. Give might, it a listen. Might as well listen to it. Why might not? as well listen to it
1: because you might be like, "Well, why is that? Why, do, why, why does he? Ma- why is that his tenth favorite movie?
0: Yeah, good question. Yeah, how can I find out? Oh, I click this. You listen. It's exactly easy, painless. Pa- well, hang, hang on. on. Painful. Well, hang on. It's middle of Neutral. the road. It's just me- right. <laughs> yeah, just right. Eh, mediocre is another word for <laughs> just it. Just mediocre. But uh, anyway, so. Um, so, yeah, you can go to More Than One Lesson. You can find uh, find all that there. You can, uh, If you have any questions, you can email me, tyler at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, josh at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you can join the uh, Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash morelessons. You can find Josh on Twitter. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. And, uh, by the way, I did uh, want to go back just for a moment and say uh, on the uh, website in the comments for this post, uh, I am actually quite interested now in having uh, that conversation about like comedy and what you consider to be acceptable and not acceptable and that kind of thing. I think that's an interesting conversation to have and one very much worth having. So, uh, I would really encourage you to, to take part in that. So, all right. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode about identity thief. Um, Josh, thanks for being here as always. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.